Hey, it's Nikki. Thanks for listening to This Is Why. This episode contains content that may be upsetting for some listeners. If the story that you hear in this podcast sounds all too familiar to you, if you've been a victim of sexual abuse by a priest or member of your church, visit snapnetwork.org, the survivor's network of those abused by priests. Special thanks to Leona Huggins and all survivors of sexual abuse who've shared their stories. Predators are attracted to places where they can work with children and they will find the vulnerable. This is part one of a two-part look at the sexual abuse crisis in the Catholic Church. How did this crisis start? Why is it such a problem specifically in the Catholic Church? And how, after everything that's been revealed, can Catholics keep their faith? That is a really, really good question. How can people still be Catholic? I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. Breaking in just the last hour, predator priests. Ireland's most senior clergymen were summoned to the Vatican after a damning report into the way the Catholic Church covered up for paedophile priests. A Catholic bishop who was forced by the Vatican to leave Belgium after admitting sexually abusing his five-year-old nephew says he is not a paedophile. It's here at Berlin's Canisius College where the first allegations of sexual abuse were made public. In Australia, a high-level royal commission has revealed the scale of child sex abuse by Catholic priests. More than 300 Catholic priests in the state of Pennsylvania are accused of either sexually abusing children themselves or helping others cover up abuse. The report states that most of the victims were boys, but girls were also victims. The number of identifiable young victims, more than 1,000. The Pennsylvania report is shocking in the sheer scale of abuse, and yet it is just one jurisdiction. Others, including dioceses in Canada, have yet to fully investigate and hold accountable both the abusers and those who knew about them. In August 2018, a Pennsylvania grand jury released a report that named more than 300 clergy members who engaged in the sexual abuse of more than 1,000 children. Reports of children being sexually abused by ordained members of the Catholic Church stretch back to the 1950s, but nobody took much notice. Then in the 1980s and 90s, more survivors began to come forward in the United States. Through the 90s, reports began to surface in South America, Australia, Ireland, and all around the world. Here in Canada, former National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Phil Fontaine was one of the first people to speak out about the abuses he suffered in Canada's church-run residential schools. After he told his story on national television in 1990, others started to tell their stories too, including his cousin, Theodore Fontaine. We hear a lot about abuse Mm -hmm. in these schools. Did any of that happen to you? Well, whatever you've heard from anybody, very, very true. And what you've heard is just a portion of what happened. I, I suffered sexual abuse. I suffered physical abuse. And I suffered mental and spiritual abuse. They destroyed everything that was the belief of who we were. 
1991 when I came forward with my report, I felt all alone. Leona Huggins is also a Canadian survivor of sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. She's a school teacher now. But back in the 1970s, in Vancouver, British Columbia, she became the victim of a predator priest named Father Jack McCann. I remember the day he came to our school. He was different. He was funny and silly and... I was, I was a year younger in school, so probably a little bit more immature than the others. And, and, and it, his silliness kind of just really connected with me because I'd never seen anyone be silly like that that was also a priest. And, and he was so nice. And during that time, he would come and visit our house. We were a block away from the, the church. He dropped in whenever. He'd come with his guitar. He'd play his guitar and sing songs. And he'd buy us pizza often. <laughs> <laughs> Friday nights. It was just really cool. It was just this different energy in our home. And slowly over time, he, he embedded himself in our family. Then my 19-year-old brother died suddenly of a heart attack. And McCann came, I remember the Saturday after my brother died, and he came over to say, um, hey, he was helping my mom out, taking the kids out for a ride. And... Um, and, and he would take us, he just would take us out for drives. And then there was, you know, the day that he got me all by myself. So at the point when he crossed the line, I was paralyzed, completely paralyzed. And my response was to freeze. Um, I knew that I couldn't say anything to my parents. So I had to make myself bad and I had to make him good. And it's it's a big, if I can say it, mind fuck <laughs> for a 13-year-old. Um, he isolated me, and the the abuse lasted a long time and was really hard to disentangle from. I can imagine that it would be hard to disentangle from that because my understanding of of sexual abuse as it pertains to the church is that it's not just a physical violation. It's a spiritual violation as well. It sounds like these priests, you know, they get so involved in the entire lives of their victims, in their school lives, in their family lives, in their home lives, in their spiritual lives. And it's just all a part of that manipulation process. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had privileges. I was the um, reader at Sunday Masses, so I got to go up on the altar and I got to read. So you were rewarded. I was rewarded. I was uh, the organist, but that because I had to go and practice the organ at the church, then that created a venue for him to spend time with me. So everything he did was very intentional and by design. Absolutely. I have no doubt about it now that the 13-year-old had no idea. <laughs> What about your family? Were your parents suspicious at any point in time about McCann's behavior? It's really hard to look in hindsight at my parents. My, I, was, I came from a family of 12. I felt that they did know or could easily know. But keeping in mind how manipulative McCann was, I can't hold anything against them. What I can say is that at 29 when I finally came to terms with it um, and I went to tell them they right away said you should have known better 
my, you know, my mom quoted some Catholic stuff about the conscience at seven or 11 or something. And at that time, you know, and you know, and you should have known. So you shouldn't have done any, like, <laughs> um, that was her understanding. And, and she grew up in that same system. So, so in one sense, it sounds like parents are groomed as well. They're groomed along with the victims. I, the, I, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the entire family was groomed. So your parents didn't intervene to make the abuse stop. And the church either didn't know or chose not to make the abuse stop. So why did the abuse eventually stop? The abuse stopped because I got too old. I got too aware. And I was probably not of interest to him anymore. He couldn't control me. It's interesting when I was doing my teacher training, he came to visit us from Fort St. John and I remember he dropped in and at that point he was rude. He was just always rude. And um, he came into the house and he said, you'd never make a good teacher. And the other thing was when, when you wanted to be a Catholic school teacher, you needed a recommendation from a priest that knew you. And he knew me. <laughs> So I asked, and he wouldn't, set, he wouldn't write me a recommendation. Of course, I was soiled and dirty and, and not virgin-like, obviously. I couldn't have been a good Catholic. The person who is supposed to be in charge of your spiritual well-being made you a bad Catholic. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. The Vatican today broke its silence on the Pennsylvania grand jury report that a sexual abuse of children by Catholic priests. The pain of the victims and their families is also our pain, says Pope Francis in this letter written to the people of God, which states, with shame and repentance, we acknowledge as an ecclesial community that we were not where we should have been, that we did not act in a timely manner, realizing the magnitude and the gravity of the damage done to so many lives. We showed no care for the little ones. We abandon them. Dios llora. Vatican spokesman Greg Burke read this statement. There are two words that can express the feelings faced with these horrible crimes, shame and sorrow. The impression that I've been getting from all the stories that we've heard in the news is that Rarely do these large-scale cases of sexual abuse happen in the church without somebody in the hierarchy knowing something about what's going on. I would believe so. I, it's hard to imagine how people don't know. They have a responsibility to know, so they should have known or ought to have known if abuse was occurring um, because the... People are in a position, the, the church officials are in a position of power. Somebody needs to be watching and, and um, overseeing the work that is being done. So when you hear statements from the Pope, from cardinals, from archbishops, and we heard a lot of statements after the news broke about what had been going on in Pennsylvania. We heard statements released from across the world, from across the United States and across Canada as well. When those statements are released and you hear them, after all the things you've experienced, do they sound sincere to you? 
when members of the church say, we're, we're shocked, we, we're devastated, we're outraged by the abuse that's gone on. Do those statements sound sincere to you? No, it, it, it sounds sincere, it absolutely sounds sincere, but it rings hollow. In the ears of survivors who have been working to have their stories heard um, over many, many years, Barbara Blaine founded um, SNAP uh, over 30 years ago with David Clohesse and Peter Isley and Phil Saviano. They have all, they've worked tirelessly, tirelessly to be heard. And... Um, their voices, you know, it's it's thanks to social media that our voices have been able to join together. And there are now people all over the world that are finding their voice and recognizing that they're not alone. They are part of a global crisis in the church. So social media has helped blow the lid off this thing in some way. I can't imagine where we would be without social media. Um, in 1991, when I came forward with my report, I felt all alone. Um, I trusted that the um, journalists at the time had had that the story had gone to the places where he lived. Um, I trusted that the church had made sure that he was in a place where he was not accessible to children. And it was through social media that I was able to discover um, the reality of what happened after he went to jail. In the 1980s, a BC public school teacher named Robert Noyce was convicted on 19 charges of sexual offenses involving students. As a result, a sexual abuse prevention curriculum was introduced. And that meant that as a teacher, Leona had to undergo training. And we were told about what it was and the grooming process and the whole bit. And as I heard this, it was like, that's what happened to me. And I started to come to terms with it. I think I started to deal with it a bit in therapy. And then, yeah, I found out that he was starting a youth group on Salt Spring Island. And so I knew that I had a responsibility to report. Because they told me that, that if you think that children are in danger, you have a responsibility to, to report. So I, I might have done it differently, but at that point in time, I wrote a statement. It was hard. It took me three weeks. I remember lying in my bed going, I can't do this. I can't do this. I have to do this. I can't do this. I can't. I'd get a word written and then I'd... It was painful, painstaking, but I knew that I had to do it. I knew that I started to recognize, understand about the patterns of this and I recalled conversations he had with me about other girls and times where he would take me to places and 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 have me meet these other girls so I had these names and I put them on the on the statement to the police and I walked into the police station on my own I was heard they arrested him that weekend I believe and they discovered other victims. Do you know how many other victims? There was one that was um, so, so that went to up through the preliminary hearing. He pled guilty just before the trial. Um, so there were two of us that, that the charges came to. There was one other victim that just couldn't. She wasn't in a position where she could come forward at that time. So I believe there are still many victims out there. People that 
just based on the pattern, based on who he was and how he operated. Um, there's people that are holding on to, to stories that, and, and shame that isn't theirs to have. Well, what do they say? 80% of sexual abuse victims don't report it? Yeah, is that what it is? <laughs> That's a bigger statistic than I like to think about, right? Yeah. And, and each abuser has uh, countless, countless victims. And at the time I went forward, I was 100% sure that there were no victims after me. He was older, right? There were no victims after me. I, I was 100% sure. I am now 100% sure there were victims after me. How are you so sure? Social media. Every time that something goes out in media, it, 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 my phone rings and somebody, I can tell with this hesitancy that they've picked up the phone and they... And they've been carrying this secret for so long. And they're so careful because they don't want to hurt anyone in saying it. And it's like, is it? Is, is this priest on a list somewhere? No one's, no one's keeping lists except for maybe in the secret archives of the churches. Because it's hard to believe. that I often hear, I told this person. Or I told this person. Or um, people are, are saying that they've told, but they weren't heard. You said earlier that you were 100% sure that there was more victims after you. But now, as it stands today, there is a reason why you can be 100% sure that McCann will have no more victims. Yes, thank you. Um, I discovered that McCann died about a month ago. But it's funny, isn't it, how obituaries never really tell the truth about what a person was really like. Yeah, the obituary doesn't tell the true story of his life in any way. Today... Pennsylvanians can learn the extent of sexual abuse in these dioceses. And for the first time, we can begin to understand the systematic cover-up by church leaders that followed. As the members of the grand jury wrote in their report, we need you to hear this. There have been other reports about child sex abuse within the Catholic Church, but never on this scale. For many of us, those earlier stories happened someplace else. Now we know the truth. It happened everywhere. When Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro held a press conference and released the details of that grand jury report, and we learned about the widespread sexual abuse within the Catholic Church in that state, I'm sure that you had many emotions but I'm guessing that shock wasn't one of them. I was not at all shocked or surprised because I knew these people's stories. I knew that these, these are survivors that have been talking for years. So Pennsylvania did not come as a shock at all. 
What confuses me is the scale to which this crisis has has grown because in any other organization, and I'm thinking about you know, a school, for example, at least in Canada, if there was reports of, of children being abused, of pedophilia, they would terminate that teacher immediately and want to disassociate themselves, you know, want to make sure that that teacher ended up in jail and everybody knew that they had handled it and the school was a safe place again. Well, it's hard to be removed from the priestly state without the Pope. It's the Pope that defrocks a priest. But there's there's guidelines as to what that de- who gets defrocked and why they get defrocked and what they had to do to get defrocked. In my understanding, it's more likely that you would be removed from being a priest if you revealed somebody's confession. For, for a priest to tell what somebody told him in confession would be a worse thing than raping a child. Well, I guess that helps to explain some of the cover-up scandal then, because if you have a priest who confesses to a peer or to a senior that he's abusing children, it won't go any further from there because that confidentiality is sacred. It can't go any further from there. uh, In the rules of the church, under canon law, it can't go any further from there. After everything we know now, today, about the sexual abuse crisis in the Catholic Church and the systematic cover-up of those crimes. In your opinion, how can anyone still be a Catholic? That is a really, really good question. How can people still be Catholic? Yeah. In 1992, Father Jack McCann was sentenced to 10 months in prison after pleading guilty to sexually abusing two teenage girls, including Leona Huggins. Leona believes he may have other victims in the other Canadian cities where he worked in the 1970s and 1980s, including Lethbridge, Alberta, Fort St. John in northern B.C., Nooka Sound on Vancouver Island, and St. Pat's High School in Ottawa, just to name a few. On the next episode of this podcast, why is the sexual abuse of children so prevalent in the Catholic Church? We pull straws and we say, we got to blame this and it's this. And so the most obvious thing that many people do is, well, of course, this is caused by celibacy because priests can't get married or whatever. That is absolute nonsense. That's Father Rosica, and we'll hear from him in a new episode next Friday. This is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Wright-Meyer. You can find us on Twitter at This Is Why, or share your comments with us, send us your questions or story ideas to thisiswhy at curiouscast.ca. Take a minute to subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And remember to leave a rating and review as well. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next Friday.